0: Hello and welcome back to Spy Hard's podcast. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And we are back with another Spy Master interview and we're continuing our trend. We started last year in the period between Christmas and New Year where we bring a big name onto the show to talk about spy movies. Now, I'm particularly excited for this one. Cam, who do we have joining us?
1: Yes, we are going to be talking to actor extraordinaire Colin Salmon, who of course appeared during the Brosnan era in Tomorrow Never Dies, The World Is Not Enough, and Die Another Day, but has a filmography just across the board. So you've seen him in movies like Resident Evil, Punisher Warzone, The Bank Job, all sorts of things.
0: Not to mention his appearances on lots of TV shows, including 24, so the man has some serious spy credentials. So I think, without further ado, the man of the hour, Mr. Colin Salmon joining us on the show now a man that really needs no introduction it is the one and only colin salmon hello sir how are you doing today hello good thank you very well welcome uh, to the show i mean we have a ton of things to ask you about uh, but i think it's best to start how all good stories start and that's at the beginning so take us back colin what made you want to get into acting in the first place
2: um i didn't really want to get into acting i was uh I'm a trumpet player. I played Mm -hmm. so I was young, and I played in the Salvation Army, and I was a choir boy, or sang in the singing company, and we were good, so we toured, and we did lots of stuff. So we were performing, performing, performing. But I wanted to play football for Luton Town, and then after punk and sort of got into music, I sort of wanted to be Miles Davis. And then, um, surprise, surprise, I'm Colin Salmon. So I was never going to be Miles Davis, but you sort of, you know, you get into that. And uh, came to London with a band. Uh, it all fell apart. I was in a squat in Wilson Green and then moved to a flat in Kilburn. Wasn't very well, really, sort of struggling with things. And um, just walking down Kilburn High Road and there was a poster and it was, it was the play called The Great White Hope, which is about Jack Johnson, the, great, the first black heavyweight champion of the world, which is a great Miles Davis album. I think it was my 23rd birthday and I'd lost my girlfriend. It was, I was thinking about going home or back to where I came from, which... Wouldn't have been a good move. And I thought, well, I hadn't busked. So I just thought, right, I'm going to do it. It's my birthday. I'm on my own. Nobody's, nobody's celebrating it. So um, I took my trumpet, stood in the uh, corridor of the Tricycle Theatre, which has got this beautiful corridor that leads up. There's an old Forester's Hall. And um, pulled the cap down, stood in the doorway and started playing. And I could play a bit. And um, two actors came out, John Matikiza and Terry Mortimer, listened, you know, smiled away. And then put some money in the hat and whatever, and then came back and gave me a ticket to the show and invited me in. And it was extraordinary, Hugh Quashi playing the role. And um, I came out at the end, busted again. And then the front house said, come back tomorrow if you want, anytime. time. And uh, I just literally started going there every show, every night. If I didn't like the play, I didn't go. But that was very rare because they specialised in sort of Irish, Black, Caribbean. So I met August Wilson there. I met James Baldwin there. And they sort of brought me back to life, and I—they um, they gave me my debut. Was in All or Nothing at all, very apt story. of Billy Holiday, and I played trumpet behind Pauline Black of the Selector, and we became close friends. And that's how I got my card. And I never really wanted to be an actor. I did drama therapy in psychiatric hospitals and things like that because I was a bit, bit of a community activist, really, but never thought about acting. And then, of course. Um, I've loved it, and the people are interesting, and uh, you read a lot, you learn a lot, you've got to be nosy. perfect for me. You know, I like words, really. So yeah. so that's how it happened, and that's a long – I think that's a long answer, but it's, it's pretty – that's an honest answer, and it, all or nothing at all, really. Went for it.
0: Well, it's interesting that it sort of started with the music as well. Like, that yeah. that was really your route, in, and it all sort of leads back to music. And I, I do want to mention, you know, I was reading a bit about you, and obviously the, the the trumpet playing, but you were you were playing drums before in a, in a sort of punk yeah, yeah. rock band, I didn't know you were a drummer as well. So, I uh, I had my fair share of bands when I was about eighteen. Uh, I wasn't too engaged with school, so I had that dream too. Uh, it was, yeah. it was good times.
2: Well, I'm ADHD. I've discovered I'm ADHD, so that but now I understand everything about my childhood, and I mean I can picked up the drums and within six months i would made a record. I mean, I'm this guy who sort of goes for it, you know. People sort of go natural ability and they don't really get it. It's not, it's just total 100% focus. And until you break it, and I've got a golf net now, so I'm learning to drive. So when I hit the golf course, it will be serious because that's the sort of, it's a perfect thing for an actor because that's what we do. I realised the hand came in and acting chose me and it was a great choice because... You have to model on people. and You have to listen. Music's a really good thing to do as an actor because you have to listen. And people think actors talking, it's actually listening. So there's been, you know, the Daniel said But yeah, punk was really important though because that meant it, do it. There's the zero. We're all on zero. Now go. And from there you learn. And you, it was as serious as your life. It was not just for money. It was... It was terrible times. It's funny, we're in that similar place now, I think, and I'm quite excited by that. Some people are scared, and I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is when people have to, you go, you have to draw off the heart now. (laughs) So now the fun
1: starts. (laughs) Well, I'm curious, you know, with musical training and sort of that ear for it, how does that sort of lend itself to performance and acting? Was it something that you really drew upon when you were kind of moving into acting?
2: Yeah, that's all I had. And I think the thing when I was doing drama therapy, which is really important because you worked in psychiatric hospitals, children's homes and with the mentally handicapped. So our our job, we did three, four months training and I was just one of the workers. The the therapists were the professionals. But you needed us to go in and our job was to create a safe environment. So obviously, if you were in a psychiatric unit, lock in, which it was, and you've got any side, any game going. I call it the hall of the truth tellers they will see it and it doesn't go well. So you literally have to learn to tell the truth. Then I read later on, uh, Jimmy Cagney said about that, you know, as an actor, you look the other guy in the eye and you tell the truth. And I thought, that's interesting. Because the camera's different from theatre. Camera spots the truth easier, Do you know what I mean. And that's more like the human eye. Or, (laughs) I'm not going to get into neurotribes, but I am absolutely in the right profession for what I am, because... You know, you'd be doing something and something, hold it. And then they come over and they go this. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And move off. And like to everybody else, they're like, but we're all going, oh, well done. (laughs) So it's the detail. So, yeah. And that's, I think, I'm a big guy. So I can be the alpha and I can make things calm if I want. I can also be bad, but that's not the way I brought up. So, I have physical presence and also life's good, man. Keep, keep stay light. Angels fly because they stay light. I think that's a really good saying. So.
0: Well, you know, speaking of uh, you know, where you were brought up and perhaps segueing into spy movies a wee bit, but was James Bond a part of your upbringing? You, you're a British man. It tends to be part of our DNA in a way. Yeah, well,
2: I'm British, born in London, but my dad's from Jamaica. So, obviously, Bond and Jamaica have a real um affinity you know Goldeneye is there so dr no was there and i mean i am as old as the franchise you know i was literally born in the year it was made so i've grown up watching it all my life and i think golden goldfinger was the one that really stuck in my brain because that was the first that really um i was at the age but to rush with love i remember because of the song matt monroe so bond just has that he just, whether you're into it or not, it will permeate into your soul. You know what I mean? You know, and even to the, all because the lady loves those adverts. It was all all influenced by the Bond and Bond was huge. Personally, when I hit that punk age, I was a massive Harry Palmer fan. Ipcrest file. Yes. I, I loved Ipcrest. And at the moment, I'm really loving Slow Horses. I just love Gary Oldman. It's sort of that grungy, world which i thought michael cain also epitomized because i think it's not easy being a spy and i think bond i've loved daniel's performance for that reason he's made it there's cost and i love the fact that he's made that more apparent so
0: well like the palmer films always sort of explored the well maybe not the later ones but the, certainly Ipris' father sort of the banality the mundane life of a spy it's not all the glitz and glam that bond actually deals with at all
2: no and it is again it's that it is that stuff. It's seeing the difference between that and that. You know, it's we're sort of everybody gets tribal, but nobody's talking. I think I I, I think we're more aligned on neuro tribes really than racial tribes or ethnic tribes. It's neuro and I think it's interesting they go to Cambridge, isn't it, and Oxford, and to the high high end sort of educational establishments where you probably have people more on the spectrum there because that's how they get there, and they're the perfect people for the job and. I'm really interested in that, actually, because I, I'm sort of, I'm getting a bit bored of the banality of binary thinking. You know, it's like black or white, rich or poor. But actually, it's quantum. It's very complex and much more interesting. You've got to get more specific. So, I, it's hard work, unless it isn't. It's like, it can be mundane if you haven't got the. If you're not one of the tribe but if you can see the diff if you can see the minutiae it's not it's banal but not really it's it is that glo- glitch isn't it? it's that one number that doesn't fit it's that one piece of the picture that doesn't work but you need to be able to see it otherwise you know
0: well you know the old saying goes if you like what you do you never work a day in your life it's as simple as that yeah i've never worked simple um, well, I was interested. I was looking for your IMDb speaking of work, and, and your first TV gig is on Prime Suspect 2 against Helen Mirren. And there's this strange duality here because then your first major motion picture, as far as I can see, is Tomorrow Never Dies, and you're sharing the room with Dame Judi Dench. Yeah, uh, these, are, these are some fantastic starts. Yes. Um, I've I, I mean, just I mean, speaking maybe towards just prime stats with a teeny bit, but like getting that role and then obviously moving on to Tomorrow Never Dies.
2: Well, it's really interesting because you here's, here's my sort of quantum brain working. You said it, there's you against Helen Mirren, and then you said then you're sharing it with Judy Dench, Dame Judi. Now that second word is the word because th- this is the problem I think that happens in my business sometimes. Pe- people forget it's an art form and not a sport. You're not competing with anybody. You're, you are, your job is to create the team. And I come from sports as well as music, as well as, so I understand that. So when you're trying to get the team to work, you allow for everybody's fears. We learn to manage fear, including our own, but most of the time we try to manage other people's, if I'm honest. And the only way I can do that within my my work is to prep. So with the prime suspect, which was literally the first time I stood in front of a camera And we won the Emmy and it was the lead opposite Helen. But there was a certain verite about having a guy nobody had ever seen before. You know, you just went with the character. And I started playing and I looked at Helen in the eyes and she looked at me. I sort of know, I say it now. I say, I'm going to jump. You're going to jump. And they go, yeah. And then we go for it. So then we can really play. Because some people get afraid. (laughs) But Helen's not one of those people. Trust me. And then two hours in, she just put her hand across the table and just went. You're doing great and that was a great lesson for me i can do that i do that now with young actors when i feel if i feel they need it and everybody needs a bit of something but helen was amazing and in terms of the character we were both in a similar place which was she was obviously a, a female detective in a very male orientated place i was a black detective in a very white male oriented place so we, in a way my mistakes in that were about trying to prove myself and then i made errors and same applied to helen and we sort of saw that we saw that um synchronicity and went for that and uh, it really worked it was it was beautifully written alan Cubitt, directed by john strickland who again is a he's an editor so john He's into the minutiae. So sometimes John starts a scene in the close-up. And in fact, if you saw Line of Duty, he, he starts a scene on um, Tandy Newton's eyes. In a whole ep, he starts a scene in his eyes. And you see fear in her eyes, and then you pull back to see the, um, the murder scene, Death, where she was there. But that's so opposite to film um, language. Usually they start big shot, dead at He started here and then brought it out. That's John, and that's... Um, that's the, he knows exactly where the cut's going to be because he's an editor. And if, you know, in ter- terms of the alchemists, editor, editors are pretty much up there. So it was a learning curve. Prime suspect, I, first lunch, I went in, sat down, there was one route, one seat and it was on the end of this table, loads of blokes and they were the Sparks. And I went and joined them for lunch. And then that night I saw the producer and he said, I heard you had lunch with the Sparks. And I went, pardon? Oh, Jimmy. Oh, the oh yeah, yeah what? I'm a working class, but I don't understand sparks and actors and blah. But of course, they looked after me, taught me about lights. Then I, mm-hmm. taught, I saw the boom operator holding this thing up in the church, in the courtroom, shaking. And I realized, oh my God, that's so difficult. Hmm. And then when I get nervous, you see the focus puller. And I think, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I have to move that every time you move. And I'm like, okay. So I've, I've just got to learn lines. Easy. <laughs> that job <laughs> I'm terrified of. So I say to young actors, you know, in theatre, the play is the thing, but in film and television, the crew is the thing. You really need to be part of it, and we're just the acting department. So I learned everything on the floor, and of course, with I love women, and women sort of sort of get me because some people just I'm not a creepy guy. I'm you know I've got three sisters. I know how to bear myself, and um, that means that women can be themselves around me and um, don't fear, don't feel afraid to sort of help or say mm, try this or that. And I've just learned on the ground with great, great maestros. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Bloody are. Hmm. Oh. Judy Dench and Helen Murray.
1: Well, you know, speaking of um Judy Dench, I would love to know just getting the bond job and sort of the process you went through. What you know, were you discovered for this or how did that happen?
2: I went in for Goldeneye and I met Mr. Campbell. And it didn't work out. That was fine. I saw Mr. Campbell and Barbara was there. And then I just got on with my life, not thinking about it, because, you know, luckily I've got resilience. Fear of rejection isn't a problem for me. I just, you know, you can't lose what's yours is what I say. So anyway, we go carrying on my life. And then Tomorrow Never Dies comes up, and then I go in to meet Roger Spottiswood. And it was a Friday, and we chatted. And Oh, no, it's was Wednesday. But we chatted. We had a good chat. Da, 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 da. And then he said what you doing at the moment and i actually wasn't particularly busy work-wise but i was doing the portobello panto which is a real bawdy five nights of absolute carnage with mick jones from the clash does a number we just get in and take the rip take the rip out of tories rich people it's great (laughs) (laughs) Um, and i always i played the dame so i said to um he said what are you doing i said well i'm doing portobello panto and the thing about Roger is he knows that area and he knew about the Panto. And he said, oh, I always miss it. I said, oh, well, you know, you're my guest, be my guest. He said, well, I've got, I'm got, i seeing my children on Friday. So, uh, yeah, three of us come on Friday. I said, done. So I put it in the book. And uh, he came along. I was playing Sultan Pepper of the uh, Zouk of Bayswater. Um, and I had all of women scantily clad around. And I was doing my stuff and I have the children with me and I'm da- and then we have Ray Winston in the back and Roger, uh, it's just carnage, <laughs> but we get it done and afterwards I saw him and we had a laugh and a chat and then a few days later they, he, he saw, they got in touch and said look, um, Roger's asked if you'd mind helping screen test the Bond girls and I said what does that mean? Then they sort of explained I mean, let me think about that yeah 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 um, <laughs> So I just ended up going up to Pinewood and um, screen testing Bond girls. Monica Bellucci, you know. Irene Jacob, who I worked with once before. And just these most amazing, amazing women who are being judged in two ways. You know, there's the clothes and then there's the acting. So my job was to make sure that, that we acted. So I just keep eye contact regardless of what they wear. I just understand that um, unease. So I would just sort of look into my eyes, you know, and not around my eyes and play it for real. And that's how I got into the world of Bond. And then, um, and then Roger said, look, there's no part. So, and we don't want to waste your, so, and I said, fine. Thank you so much. Three days of absolute, uh, it was hell.
0: Hmm. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well,
2: well. Some people's hell, others have you know, it's very, it's, it's Bonds. it's fluid <laughs> oh it wasn't fluid darling not in Bonds, Not. Wow. <laughs> and um and then a few days or a few weeks later um i got a call saying actually they've created a new character because michael kitchen's got the lead in this scandinavian film and he can't do it so uh, there i was charles robinson was born and my f- first yeah my first day was the beginning and uh i think it was a two million pound set Five big screens, seven cameras, two hundred ex- uh, supporting artists, and me—you <laughs> know—saying a man's in position on the centre camera, and then Roger saying, "Night, Colin. I need you to do it that bit on there when that when that picture comes up, that image comes up, that bit." And I went, "Okay." And then, sure enough, yeah, did it, and uh, it was fun. It was. I don't know, I don't know how to put it really. It's like taking penalties for a living. It's, I quite enjoy it. It's like being the kicker in, in Gridiron, you know, I come on and just, what are you gonna do, kill me? No. So yeah, that was the beginning of, and Tomorrow Never Dies was such a special film. I think it was so clever because the way it was written and the idea and the issues around it, you know. So um, yeah, I just became part of the, fa- the family in a um, wonderful time, yeah.
0: Well, it's interesting The Tomorrow Never Dies is... It fights Goldeneye for my favourite Pierce Brosnan film. I think the the story is actually a lot more prescient now mm. than it maybe was in 1997. But, I mean, my hat, if I was wearing a hat, goes off to you for sort of anchoring that whole pre-title sequence because you are Mr. Exposition holding us through it and telling us exactly what Bond's doing. But, you know, this is your first major motion picture. And you said you like, in your head, you're doing penalties for a living, basically. That, that is penalty-taking in a major motion block. Yeah. So I think, and how did you deal with did you feel the pressure then? Or were you just let's, just let's just roll, see what happens?
2: Um, like I said earlier, it's prep. So I knew what I could say, but I could say my words backwards. Um, then, then of course, Judy's around, out. And then we started, we started to, because I like twinkling, she likes twinkling. And we And all of a sudden we like, are ah, okay, so this is, this is going to be fun. And then you know, you get to see this ca- cinematographer, the camera crew, the different people, and some faces you know. And you just engage with the world you're in, and then you're part of it. And then you realise you are just part of it, and you want to get everybody out on time. They've got to go home to their kids and families, so focus and get it done, really. And um, like I say, it's not a comp- it's not a sport. You know, everybody's willing you to do well. It's a bit like that's what I learned in the auditions as well. Is you know, journey actors or anybody going for a job interview, they really want you to be the one when you go through the door. They really do want you to be the one. So sometimes we get into this adversarial situation and actually nobody's wanting to, to trip up. And anybody in that in our business who does that really is, I don't think they've got much of a future in it really because it's, sort of, it's a huge, magnanimous, creative art form and you don't want people to mess up because that's that's not a win <laughs> that, that's not corinthian that's not success that's because of other people's failures i mean, I'm, if i'm going to be compared i want to be compared at, at their top level so anyway yeah i enjoyed it and came away going got away with that one <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm curious you know um when you're entering the franchise what are they telling you about the character of robinson was there any like backstory they were giving you or anything like that?
2: Not a lot. I mean, they do rely, you know, I did a bit, I did some research and uh, I knew some people and I went, dug a little bit deeper and created my own sort of world, which is really good fun because actually when you go back and draw them, get them off the shelf, they're almost stories in their own, well, they are, they're stories in their own rights. So the more you do, the background, the better. Um, you know, I met a guy who was a spook, black spook. In the seventies, and he—he you know, was—he actually had afro and was a drummer behind this sort of rock band and working in Berlin. You know, and it was so funny because it was like, okay, that was a really good lesson because I thought, oh my god! So I was a drummer in a band, and it was literally, oh my, god. so just transpose that into that, and and then you're just, how do you move through? Uh, well, that word "spook" is a good one because it's how do you pass through walls? How do you pass across borders? How do you get across? And I love the, the way in which in Bond it's all about disarming people. It's a, there's a charm in Bond that, do you have a flag? You know, it's not, yeah, you know, take this. It's like, <laughs> oh. and there's a, I thought that's my natural state anyway. I, I've had to survive, you know, like I said earlier, managing people's fear in one of the best ways is just like humor, really, or a likeness of being, you know, just don't loom over people and just try to take in the picture, see what's going on. So, yeah, I really did. Um, Work it out myself. And then the relationship with Judy just happened on set. And she, and I'm sure she won't mind me saying this, she she, she wasn't much, she hadn't done a lot of film at that point. Um, so I I know, I'm just still, I just, I'm feel I don't know. So she, she, jokingly, she called me her rock, because I'm like, just, you know, this, this, that, this, that, you know. Maybe if you just... What the like the sparks would do to me, you know, just give me a little tip here and there. And it was like, oh, thank you. And um, we just really got on. I and mean, she used to crochet these beautiful but like words like cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> um so there's a, you go so Julie, are you crocheting? Yeah, yes. What do you think? You go, Oh shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so she is as naughty and bawdy as you can imagine she's a trickster and fantastic. that's the twinkle ah oh, twinkle and listening to her and Samantha Bond speak is like listening to beautiful water splashing off rocks on a spring morning it's just refreshing and like oh my goodness gracious me listen to that so uh, I, I just sort of up my game a bit because I grew up in Luton and I'm not saying it's a second language but the accent can destroy it mm. <laughs>
1: And how did the relationships with you know Judi Dench or Samantha Bond like change over the three movies you did?
2: Um, yeah, we got closer. Yeah, we we, met. we I, I don't see them for time. I, re- I stepped in for Judy on something recently, and with Samantha to do a charity night, and uh, it's lovely to hear how they're getting on. How Samantha's family have grown, the boy, like ours. My children have grown, and then of course with Sammy and um, Vinti and Judy's family too and um yeah I I I, Judy sort of brought me in on an event at the Rose Theatre sort of shared a dressing room with Harold Pinter and people like that for the night and talked to them and found out what they thought you know it was lovely it was they were really Judy just is a gracious gracious lady and I mean I came from this left field I didn't go to college college or any college um so there could be that imposter syndrome situation. But I think at the end of the day, I think, and I say this to everybody, you know, if you have manners and you are gracious, you, you'll be amazed. People just want to share everything with you. So if you you know, if you fall down, you get up, you don't blame anybody else, get up, sort yourself out, say please and thank you, and you know, open doors for people and just be kind. And you'll be amazed because we're just looking for you, really. And we want to share it. Those who really have a passion for what they do want to share it. And that I've been really blessed. I've met some proper masters who are kind and have helped me move forward. So.
0: Well, Cam just mentioned sort of the the following Bond films, but, you know, this character was created for Tomorrow Never Dies. Was it sort of discussed during the filming of that film that you would be coming back on the subsequent Bond films or was it a conversation every new film?
2: Was it discussed? No, it wasn't discussed. I just didn't, I didn't know what the, what the process was. Um, so I just did that. It went very well. I mean, the response to him was great and Barbara was a champion. And I think Pierce saw the videos of me Testing the girls, and that's when he started to say, "Oh God, Colin would make a great Bond," which sort of exacerbated or catalysed the situation. And then the next film, it was um, uh, "The World Is Not Enough," and that would have been um, Mike. Yeah, it's show business, isn't it? Um, but he was a close friend of Michael's, and Michael came back, and that was that was interesting. That was fine; it worked, sort of, actually. Um, Michael Apted, excuse me. Yeah. And Michael was brilliant. Brilliant. Hi. um, Again, great story. And I think what I loved watching, what I saw through Pierce's reign was, reign. Yeah. It was uh, the women around him just got stronger and stronger and stronger. You know, and Michelle Yeoh was in the, in Tomorrow Never Dies and she was as action as he was. And obviously Judy coming in and Goldeneye, and, and then you just see, and it's a bit like Paul Anderson with Mila. You know, we create, we created the, biggest female action hero in movie history, you know, and, uh, and sort of quietly that happened. And Pierce was really open minded, generous, excellent actor, unbelievably good, you know, and People sometimes when you're cursed with looks like his, people don't see what's going on, but he's mm-hmm. a fantastic actor. Um, and like I say, his generosity was key as well, because it just created this incredible climate of creativity around. And again, Barbara loved him, as did Michael. And it was great fun. Great, great fun. Yeah.
0: Well, it, 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 took, us, it took us three films to see Charles Robinson in action. Because we get that little VR sequence where you're uh, where you're out shooting with Bond, more or less, and you actually get to film a death scene for yourself as well, which is uh, something you don't get to see for Bond characters very often. So, I mean, did much go into that? Did you do any sort of stunt choreography for that? Or was that you taking the shot as well?
2: Yeah, no, no, I did all that. I, well, I think I'd done, well, it was around that time I was working with Paul. So we'd done live rounds on Resident Evil. And, you know, I'd got quite astute and i have been a... A Marine. So I trained with the Marines. I got a berry. The guys gave me a berry. I think that was for being Helen Mirren's lover and drinking in the bar till five in the morning, not because of my skill set. (laughs) And 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 divulging nothing because there was nothing to divulge, but insinuating there was, you know, that great skill set. Um, So yeah, I took took my own, made my stunts. And you have to have stunts. And I think one of the things that was really blessed for me was that when I did Prime Suspect, I had a pair of Brogues that were worn by Sean Connery in uh, Indiana Jones. And they're a brogue. I haven't got any around, but I do them now. And they're like with cleat soles. So they're a classic shoe, but they have a cleat sole. So you're really safe on the ground, but they look posh. And um sadly, Pierce didn't. And he went down and he was two weeks off. And it was around that because water got on the set. It's terrifying when you're doing um, stunts. But um, any fall anything like that you bring the stunt guys in uh you need to know they check your gun they do all that reading the script i wish they told me because i was reading the script and i was literally dropped the script because i got shot you know and went for a walk and went oh God. <laughs> and then without turning the i didn't look over the next page for about half an hour and <laughs> came back and went virtual reality <laughs> <laughs> i don't die <laughs> you know no, I didn't do another one since. But yeah, I sort of did die. But that's not the point. Um, yeah, we 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 had. It was great to get the gun out. And I, you know, I think I put somewhere and Pierce and I were in doorways and we were sort of in and out, in and out. And like I said, at one point, and I didn't say the complete words, but he went, he went, <laughs> stand there, I'll do it. He goes like this, fucking hell, I'm James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> fucking <laughs> really, absolute <laughs> stitches! Fucking hell! I'm James Bond, and um yeah, the boys—the boy in us—the boys in the this were really having a give on that. Yeah, Lee Tamagotchi. Oh, Tamahori. Sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you were talking about how that that whole you know kind of you taking over as Bond kind of gained a lot of traction. I was just curious. Was there ever a discussion even, you know, with, you know, Eon and Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson about it?
2: No, not not that I was privy to, no. Mm -hmm. I think um, Barbara was the first to sort of actually intimate, actually, she was, she was a champion of it, but it was just, how do you do it? I think was always the question at that point. I think now, over the period of time, because of that quandary, I think they've now sort of, as they did in the last one, they sort of managed to get the, separate the double O from the Bond. Um. 007 from the bond. But um I sort of it was a difficult time in a way because it it was a lot riding, it was a lot on it. It was a I sort of felt the most important thing was to allow the debate to go on because I think I I met young people all over the place who were just like, wow, you know, people, black kids and stuff who would just go, Wow, you can be James Bond. I'm saying, man, you can be James Bond. And it was like it seemed really it was important, and it is, because if you can see it, you can be it. So but psychologically, for me, I think I I, um, I struggled a bit because it just wasn't going to happen. And then there would, yeah, you know, there's and we weren't so much into the social net social um, networks as much as we are now. But I did sort of have some pretty intense conversations, a bit of trolling, and people getting really really angry about it, you know. And it's sort of like I sort of. My family and stuff was really important to me. So there was a question like, wow, what is this? What is, how does this, you know, I'm just an English boy getting on with my my dream, you know? So, uh, but again, I just, I didn't play it up. I just carried on really. And I had some amazing experiences because of it. So that's, and they're always positive. You know, I've, I've got to say, you know, that um, I think for the, to be Bond is hard. I think it's very, it's a very corporate world for those involved, and they have to, you have to go here, there, and everywhere, and it's important. I mean, Pierce would sit there and sign a thousand posters while having lunch, you know, because he knew every single school that got one would raise some money, and he was wonderful at that, and that, he taught me a lot, that taught me a lot as well, and it's, yeah, it's been a great, it was great, it's, it's like playing for England, really. I've said it before, and it really is, I'm a sweeper, and didn't score goals, I just stopped others scoring goals. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, looking back on the three films of Bond that you, you did do, is there a particular moment, may not have been like the actual finished product of the film, but from maybe from filming it or press afterwards, is there a moment you look back on fondly from the whole process?
2: Oh, many, many, many moments. Being in the back of the Rolls Royce with Judy Dench flying around City of London one Sunday morning, that was fun. <laughs> um, the helicopter over the top of the... Motorola building in Swindon, that hmm. was extraordinary. I got, oh yeah. I got a call on die another day and to say, ask me, and I am not do the accent, but it was like, Colin, can you can you go and have dinner on this boat for this naval charity thing? And I'm saying, Yeah, what is it? And it's oh, what do they do? And she said, hang on. And then said, Oh, they put um current films on submarines and ships.
1: I went, oh, okay,
2: that's really important. And, and what boat is it? She said, HMS Victoria. And I went, uh, yeah, yeah, I think I can do that. <laughs> so, because um, the rest of the crew, everybody else had gone to Paris for the Paris premiere, if they couldn't. So they sent me sent a car um, and it was the next day. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And who's going to be there? Well, I think um, Prince of Wales is going to be at the screening. Sure, uh, Lord Fleet. Of the, yeah, and it was. A, I'm not going to be rude, but it was just somebody reading, and it. it's like it was if it didn't matter. You know, uh, the admirable of the fleet. You know, blah, blah blah. I'm like, okay, I have to go. So off we go to Portsmouth, Gun Wharf, and it was really make or break. And we got there because we was I was busy filming that day, um, and then they. It was literally the all the shiny the blah. It was on. But before the show, they did this special show for us and for everybody there. They're all lined up. And I'm like, oh, what are they lined up for. And then the whistle went off. And then all of a sudden you see a cutter coming up. And 45 minutes later, you watch the Marines do this. This girl got kidnapped. Aston Martin arrives, helicopters come in. It's dead. It was better than the film. It was unbelievable. And, and at the end of it, they came back with the girls. He's standing there with her on the on the um, on the harbor they kiss and the crowd goes crazy and i'm like <laughs> okay and then we go downstairs to watch die another day and uh yeah this the, you know we had in february of that you know the surfers went out in february at new key and did most extraordinary s- stunts and then we had that cgi at the end which just made me <laughs> choke <laughs> <laughs> you know and it's like Firstly, you don't repeat a stunt. Secondly, if you go into, it's got to be better than that. So, Lee and I, you know, we didn't see eye to eye on certain things. I don't think he quite got me. But, but um, <laughs> I think when we came out, um, we had to be presented to His Royal Highness, His His Majesty. Now, I think, and uh, well, I don't think he is. Um, and he sort of says, oh, uh, "You know, how is, it, how, is it, how is it? how is it working on the bonds?" And I said. Well, basically, it's about three weeks of giggling with Judy Dench, actually. And he just, he just started laughing, and it was like... He sort of, he was sort of walking past and then realised it, And he laughed, and it was fun. And then I went to dinner on the HMS Victory and was just blown away by the history, the graciousness of the, the bosses who took us into the galley to meet all, everybody. There's a, The senior service is real. I did a lot of research about it. It was really, really interesting. It's a really, really interesting uh structure in the navy because everybody wherever you are on the ship you have to take responsibility for the ship you can't just say sir we've got a leak you you could say we have a leak i'm dealing with it bang and then everybody joins you but you have to take, and that sort of permeates it and that's a really nice thing to find out and learn about in lots of ways because um my family are air force and, and the army is different but the air force is different but the navy is different again and um Yeah, there's a lot to be said. This is not a democracy. It's it's a benign dictatorship. (laughs) (laughs) So that was a highlight. Yeah, victory was a highlight.
0: Well, it sounds like in sort of the toss up between the premiere or the HMS victory, I think you won for best evening. Yeah, I had the best crack.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And then I think there was a period where I had a word with somebody who I thought was being disrespectful to her majesty um, because he didn't not, he didn't, so properly, I felt, and then we had a chat afterwards and I, because I wasn't presented, so I was watching. And then afterwards I said, so, you like tough, you know, you like tough movies, don't you? You like strong films, you like strong men. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Gangsters, Mafia, yeah, yeah. And I said, you do realise you met the Don tonight? And he went, what? I mean, yeah, yeah. She has a Navy, an Air Force and an army and a third of the world speak a language and if you didn't know that what the hell are you doing getting involved with james bond (laughs) (laughs) you know because he just didn't get it she was the dom and there's a graciousness but don't ever mistake us standing up on buses for us to be being soft it's not that and that's sort of bond you know what i mean it's like people mistake gracious for, for for weakness and
0: it's like whoa so yeah we interrupt this program to bring you a special report calling all agents independent podcasting much like the spy game requires considerable resources whether it's research equipment hosting or of course constructing a top
1: secret volcano lair we're putting out the call for your support that's right as you may know we've activated the spy hearts patreon home of our ever-growing lineup of agents in the field episodes where we decode non-spy films from your favorite spy actors and full film commentaries, with more intel than a Basil Exposition briefing. Cam, what have we got in our crosshairs this month? Well, we're wrapping up our Christmas craziness. Kermit, what are we tackling? The SpyHards are tackling 1992's Muppet Christmas Carol! Yay!
0: Yay indeed. Don't miss it. And if that sounds delicious, then become a true SpyHard today and join the circus at patreon.com slash spyhards. But before this message self-destructs, Cam,
1: resume the spy jinx. So when you look back on Bond now, what did the character of Robinson mean, both to you, you know, personally, as well as just for you as an actor, like for a career?
2: Well, I think doing a Bond, obviously, it has a massive impact. And again, I think people within the industry realized, as you pointed out earlier, that, you know, the. Um, the pressure on you to be able to perform in that in that arena and have the camera come in on you and you know there's no hiding place in the film and, it's, and these were close-ups and this was you know i'm a movie actor that's great that that was clear and uh it gave me open a lot of opportunities it really did and it also gave me an opportunity to go into a lot of schools and work with young people and get access to charities and do good works. Cause I think Pierce, like I said, Pierce was um he was Prince's Trust ambassador, and I equally became I asked if I could join because which isn't the way you do it, but I didn't know that. Um because um I was doing a lot sort of after being asked, and I was like, actually, I need some kind of structure. So I got involved with Princess Trust and um I still am 25 years later. I think one of the oldest ambassadors, Pierce and I. But uh it just opened doors and got. Gets me into the best conversations. I had. I meet people a lot, and a lot of people get sort of they get bored of meeting people. And I say, listen, you know, human beings are my library. It's like why would I shut myself off? You know, it's like they sort of talk a bit about you, and then you can go you know, and what do you do? And they go, oh, I'm an accountant. It's really boring. I'm really, what's I mean, when you're them, when you and you can you can get tea stories out of them. You, and they all go in. You know, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> they are not it's nothing for nothing, um, and people forget that we just reflect real life so i think um it's lovely to be able to make people's day sometimes as well you know you can so it's it was a and still is a great uh an honor to have been part of it and realizing how big a bigger a thing it is as well and it's sort of the barometer of the british film industry as well because it does break ground it you know i think a great story was chris corbold on die another day needed two jaguars on the ice and he spoke to jaguar and he said we need four wheels and they said well they don't exist so he went okay so again gave, they gave him two rear wheels he took them in to his little chitty chitty bang bang factory which is literally what it's based on and out pops two four-wheel drives and jaguar says to him so how did you do that and he said i'm not telling you <laughs> <laughs> That's a true story because he needed it on the ice. He needed four-wheel drives on ice, so Chris Corbould made it. And that sort of underpins Bond. That sort of the skill set. There is no we can't in Bond. We go. There is only how. And then we do it, and that's that's healthy.
0: One of the things that uh, fascinated me when I was reading up on your sort of connective tissue to Bond was you mentioned this earlier, doing the screen tests for Bond with the Bond Mm -hmm. girls. And, And you mentioned a couple of names, Monica Bellucci, for instance, who would eventually come into the franchise with Spectre. Is there a screen test that you did that the actor didn't get the role particularly in this case, but you felt like, oh, man, they could have been the one? There was a magic sauce there that wasn't used.
2: It's Monica, Monica Ballucci came in twice actually. She came in once for Tomorrow Never Dies and then again for the World is Not Enough. And she strapped me to the chair and I was strapped to the chair and she straddled me and licked my face. And I was like, <laughs> and she still in it. I said, give her anything she wants, please. <laughs> um, but in, in, all, in all honesty, on, the, on Tomorrow Never Dies, I went and had lunch with her because I spotted she was not struggling, but her English was not up to what where clearly you know clarity. So we talked. I went and just I just asked if she wanted to run the lines, and we did. And genuinely, because I know that one because I could feel that I could feel the strain. And then, um, like I say, she came back. For t- World is not enough, which then Sophie did, and. Then she was there, like you say, Inspector. I was so happy to see that, especially in a role like that. It was a great role. And Sophie was amazing in The World is Not Enough. There was, Is there anybody who I felt should have got it? No, I think I think they hit it spot on every time. I mean, they take such a long time to do it. And they really... And it's wonderful having Barbara in the, in the frame as well, because, I mean, the most successful, most successful producer out there, let alone female producer. So... If that changes things that changes the, the chemistry of things and makes it more balanced and yeah the acting is balanced with the um the beauty you know and that's just me i'm talking about in, in terms of <laughs> well
1: <Wow. laughs> i wasn't gonna say got, it but you know i, I, thought, you I thought you weren't oh. going
2: to say it so i thought i, be- I
0: better <laughs> no <laughs> Um, well, pivoting slightly off of Bond, I did mention off the top, I want to talk a little bit about some of your other work. Right. And yeah. one thing that jumped out to me, I went back, went back and rewatched it today because I'm a massive fan of the video game series, Resident Evil. Yes. And you are in two of the films. Uh, you're in my favorite, which is the first one as one and you come back again. Um, my first question off top of my, off the, just off the top is how do you act being diced? Because you do it in two films. Mm. That, that's, a, that's a strange thing to act through. And I, uh, I credit to you, but yeah, how, how did that come about? Uh,
2: I, think, I think Paul Anderson is a very sick puppy. That's what I think. <laughs> um, I mean, in the first one, it was an homage to Louis Bunuel to cut the eye, because uh, that was, I asked for that. And it worked, because it really, it's the thing you, you know, the old factory said, it's the worst thing you can do in a cinema. But whoever... It was Mila who sold it. It was her response behind the door that sold it. And then the rest was just CGI. How do I act being diced? Well, the second time it hurt because it was bloody, the the, the net was squeezing in. But also, it hurt. But I was sitting there witnessing cinema history, watching the alien versus the predator fight for the first time in cinema history in front of me. So I was like, "Ah, why don't I open like you know so you have noticed there's no close-ups to me because i've got a little foot fu- i'm filming i think when i say this no i may have been anyway <laughs> i don't know where the footage is anyway yeah anyway god i just ended my career um,
0: it's all right it was it was like 18 years yeah ago. yes
2: fine. yeah but um yeah paul is a twisted strange man but i love him <laughs> um and that scene in the corridor in resident evil was supposed to take place in an afternoon but it was so good we were there for two days we just didn't come it was just everything about the lighting you know the i think the the grip the grips they had to push that thing and stop you know that they, they pushed in and we just we just worked together everybody just got it together we just worked together and created i think some of one of some of the most well, an iconic deaths, a lot of iconic deaths in that scene, actually. Um, so, yeah, being diced as a salmon, as I think I tweeted, you know, sashimi, it's natural.
0: How did I not think yeah. of that? That's, that's gold.
2: I think that was what, I, I sort of think, sadly, that's a real dad joke, Paul, but I sort of think that was what it was. <laughs> I really do. Salmon sashimi. I mean, God, I, I went with it.
1: And Mila Jovovich became just such an iconic character. And I would just love to know from you, just seeing her in her first movie as the character versus coming back for Retribution.
2: Mila comes from a really amazing stock. I met, I met her mother, Russian actress, and breathtaking woman to the point where I was, she was talking to me one time and, and I was, I think I was so transfixed, Mila really went, Colin, Colin? And I was like, <laughs> Because that's the intensity of the month. Beautiful. And then Mila is that Mila works really, really hard. Absolutely works really, really hard. Gets enthralled by the whole pro You know, she really went for it. Goes for it. The training. You know, with, and this was great because we did live gun training. We did training in Berlin. And of course, I'm with the boys. The boys. We're all. We know. We've shotguns. Think the girls don't know, so they follow instruction. And hit bullseyes. We we rubbish, and we like that was a great lesson because it was like ah, you don't know know what you know know what you don't know. The girls naturally did that and were brilliant. Michelle Rodriguez, of course, at a level proper proper actors. And Mila, I'd seen in uh, Fifth Element, but I think Paul took it to another level. It just he took it to another level, and, and in fact took it for his wife. And um, and they. Had, beautiful children. And I think Eva's gone on to do great things as well. So Miller's old, you know, I'm a Stanislavski. I know about the Russian art. I love Russian profundo. I love Pushkin. Um, you know, Ira Aldridge, the American African-American uh, actor toured there and was loved by the Russians. Then Stanislavski saw him, which is one of the reasons he has that natural. So there's a culture that Miller brings and it's real. And she knows what hard work is and she's not afraid of it. And she's kick-ass, actually. She's pretty up there. And I think they're doing um, The Lost Lands at the moment, aren't they? And I spoke to Paul and recently about that. I can't do it this time, but I've read it.
0: <laughs> well, I, I also mentioned off top uh, about music and that's something I wanted to touch on uh, before we let you go. Now, obviously... You play a lot of jazz, do some steel band music as well. I think I found online you do that. Uh, I'm more of a rock guy myself. Guitar and bass is where you'll find me. But what's some of the... I suppose what what are you listening to at the moment is what I want to know. What's your go-to music right now?
2: Um, I listen to all sorts of things at the moment. I'm Leon Foster Thomas, who's a Trinidadian um, steel panist, who's doing a PhD here on jazz Caribbean jazz. I went to see him the other night at the Vortex you know, with the bass, drums, guitar, uh, bass, drums, piano, and he, the place just erupted because it was extraordinary. So live, that was the best gig I've seen in a long time. Um, I've been listening to Leonard Cohen a bit, actually, because I just needed to get, sort of lean into the grief of life a bit and sort of um, finally it's, that's worked. And I listen to a lot of classical music, actually, because I, I, I'm... Words sometimes get in the way. So I like instrumental music because when I hear words, I go off, whereas I can see pictures with, with classical and jazz as well. So um, I'm staying quite eclectic. Um, Flying Lotus I love. I think he's really interesting. Um, and but what else have I been listening to? I've been listening to this sort of, a lot of the Afrobeat stuff is really, really exciting. I'm really finding that exciting. And... Uh, What's his name? Mo Piano from South Africa. I was out there filming, and the whole South African scene is really, really Mo Piano, isn't it? And um, the whole South African scene is really exciting at the moment because they're they're fighting with their creativity again. They've been struggling again. It's sort of bubbling up. But it's I'm just I think at the end of the day, and I think you were if you say you like rock, so I love Doctor Feelgood. When I saw Doctor Feelgood in the early seventy mid seventies, there was an energy they had because that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for. You know, we can all noodle, but can you hold your ground? You know, stand your ground. Is
0: there a bit of life to it?
2: Yeah. Are you going to fight for it? Is it worth it? Are mm-hmm. you, you know, people threw bottles at us. We threw them back. We didn't get off stage. You go, we're not coming on the two. You stop throwing bottles. Is it real or is it, are you playing? And I mean, music's as serious as your life. Um, and I'm loving playing Pam with my wife because it's sort of her pulmonary rehab. And, I've had to learn a new instrument, which has humbled me, and I've got a ten-year-old telling me what to do. And it's, it's really useful, it's a very <laughs> positive thing to do. Um, yeah, music's always around. My daughter was in Jungle as well; she sang in that band for seven years. Um, so I'm just listening. It could be anything, you know. When you hear the, when you hear a good tune or something,
0: when the earworm strikes, you hear it. It just clicks, and then yeah, yeah.
2: There's nothing. It's, it transcends. It transcends genre anything. It's just good music is good music. And I, I'm open to everything. I was listening to, when I did Pray for the Devil, I was listening to uh, the monks of Notre Dame sing their uh, chants. And it was, oh God, it's the best, best shit. Yeah. <laughs> and now I listen to ADHD music. It helps me focus. Really interesting. All the different, getting into the um, different um, tones, the different level, you know, just, it's interesting. It's just, There's stuff going on. And my favourite book of the year, I've got to say it, my favourite book of the year was An Entangled Life, The History of Fungi, How They Made Us. It's the book. It's quantum biology. But it makes total sense. And that stuff. And that's really why I say it, because symbiosis, It's it's the, the, the poetic line, and I'll leave on this, is that it's not the singer of the song, it's the song they're singing. And that's what I will look for. I just look for the song. I don't care singing it.
0: Well, I, I, we're going to obviously let you go, but there is one question I can't let you go without getting away with, because everyone on this show has been asked this question, from John Glenn to actors, writers, cinematographers. Colin Salmon, what's your favourite spy movie of all time?
1: It's Chris fun. Boom. Hard to argue with that one.
0: You can't can't fight it. It's one of the top 100... Films of all time on the BFI list, at least. It's certainly on our list of the best films of all time.
2: And you know, it all fed in, you know, the Bond, the the Saltzman, it all, to me, it just. And he could never be. It's funny, Michael Caine could never have been James Bond. So, and that sort of. I get that.
0: Well, sir, I mean, I could speak to you for another 10 hours about all sorts of things that you've done, but you've got a life to live and I have to love you and leave you. So all I can say is, Colin, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for your time. I, I wish you and your family a happy and healthy new year.
2: Thank you, my friend. Thank you both. It's been a joy. Thank you. Um, spy
0: hard. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you go, folks. I, mean, I did not think when we started the show we would have the likes of Colin Salmon on. And uh, I hope you've all enjoyed that chat.
1: I'm still, uh, I'm still basking in it. No, this was incredibly exciting. And it was one that, you know, we had been hoping to do for quite a while. And he is one of the icons of the Brosnan era. He's, you know, unmistakable. Whenever you see him through all those MI6 scenes and to be able to talk to him about working with Judy Dench, working in that Bond universe, this was just a total thrill. And
0: I just want to interject, Cam. I don't think this episode would be possible without uh, a particular someone out there. And that is Chris Weston, who is a big fan of the show. And I want to thank you, Chris. Now, Chris is also a professional comic strip artist. He's worked on things like the 2000 AD He's worked for DC, Vertigo Comics, uh, Swamp Thing. He's worked with Mark Miller. He's got some wonderful work out there to check out his profile. But he prompted me to get in contact with Colin. And so I don't think this would be here without his help. So thank you, Chris.
1: Major spy props to you, Chris. Thanks so much.
0: Yeah, I, it, you know, I I admit going into this, I was a bit nervous, Cam, I have to say. and And I don't often get nervous with our interviews. And, you know, I hope Colin's not listening and laughing at me right now. But... You know, to me, it was a big deal. the The Brosnan era was not only my genesis with Bond; it was mostly my genesis with spy movies, and kind of one of the things that me and you connected over as well. And I mean, okay, as you say, he's like he features in the sort of MI six scenes, but his character looms heavy and large in this series because he's one of the only recurring characters. And you know, not only that, but you know, Resident Evil is a very important series to me as well. And I have a a strange love for the 2002 Resident Evil film, and he's a big part of that too. Yeah. So just getting the experience to talk to Colin. I mean, as I said, it was not something I thought that would happen when I started this show, but I'm just so gracious and thankful that, that we've had these opportunities. And I know that some of you reached out online and sent your questions in. We didn't have a lot of time with Colin. We did the best that we could to work your questions into our questions, but I thank you all for sending your questions in. You all rock. But, Cam, let's talk about the discussion a little bit. I mean, the first thing that jumps off the page to me was just that amazing connective tissue between like Colin's first role and Prime Suspect with Helen Mirren and then this first role in a major motion picture with Dame Judy Dench. He's working with these titans, um, leading ladies of cinema,
1: dames and accredited actors. That's a, a great starting ground. I had never made that connection either between him starting off opposite Helen Mirren in Prime Suspect and then with Judi Dench in the Bond movies. And I think it also just shows how important it is. And he indicated this as well of um, like having someone who is a really good mentor or kind of helping you along as a young actor into the world of acting and working before the camera. And I think like, you know, to hear those stories and obviously the connections he formed with Judi Dench and Helen Mirren um really interesting and really just kind of profound to hear
0: yeah and these are your formative years of any not not just acting i can imagine i'm not an actor but you know in any career the people that you surround yourself with when you're learning it or anything really really influence how you perceive that world so having these these titans i refer to it as it must have been a very nurturing and comforting space to learn and apply your trade and speaking of trade I mean, think about the task at hand with Tomorrow Never Dies. He said his first day on set was the monologue of the pre-title sequence, you know, with Admiral Roebuck and M all in that big old office. And he said like a two million pound set. That's a lot of pressure from a guy that was playing trumpet outside of a theater in central London and just sort of got picked up from there. and, And the ball started rolling. I mean, he said he just sort of took it as, let see how we can go, but I, inside there's that internalized pressure, and he said this about, you know, doing penalties, and he sort of saw it as like taking penalties, and of course that's a football reference, Cam, that you won't understand, but it's like one-on-one, and
1: it's basically like a three-throw, I suppose, if you're talking about basketball. Right. Um, I, I was a soccer referee back in the day, but... Uh... <laughs> I didn't actually know that about you, Cam. I didn't know that. I I I don't. I was not a good soccer referee, but I was one nonetheless. <laughs> I
0: don't. I don't picture you as a sporty guy. I have to say,
1: I'm not. But uh, it was one. I think that was actually my first job ever. Wow. Yeah.
0: And and uh, the last time you ever got involved in sports,
1: <laughs> more or less. Yes. Um. But no. There's a couple points there that I think are really interesting. And one was like the kind of no fear approach he had, uh, which. I had the same thought as you when I was re-watching his scenes in Tomorrow Never Dies last night. I'm watching that techno-babble exposition scene right off the top where he has to explain everything that's going on with that terrorist arms bazaar and what Bond is doing and carry that whole scene. It's a lot of moving parts, a lot of actors all around him. Judi Dench, obviously, there as well. And to make that work as, like, really your first major motion picture... I think that's incredibly stressful, and I very much am in awe of his sort of like, well, I just went for it. And a lot of people would be very, very, very nervous to try to get through that scene. And I think he does a fantastic job in the movie. There's a reason that character really pops, I think, with fans. And uh, I mean, all the props in the world to him for doing that.
0: And I think also there's a reason why, sort of building from that point, that his character was brought back in The World Is Not Enough. Yeah, Not something we explored too much, but of course, you know, Michael Kitchen could return to the role of Tanner in The World Is Not Enough, and they do sort of share similar roles in that film. But they chose to bring back this new invention that they could have easily dropped uh, for the sake of having Tanner back. They chose to keep Charles Robinson in. I-, I think that was a good thing, and I think it obviously pays off a lot more in Die Another Day. But I think it goes to sort of credit
1: um colin's performance in tomorrow never dies they trusted him to come back yeah and it's also clear that they liked him because when you watch uh the world is not enough and they have tanner doing the whole explanation of renard and you know standing in front of the holographic head and all that sort of thing that probably would have been robinson if michael kitchen had not come back i would have to assume um maybe the doctor but i i suspect robinson would have been a little more prominent throughout the movie and so it's very clear that like eon really liked him as a performer and found ways to work him in to not just you know the world's not enough but also die another day more prominently well a little bit of like i I think this is all put together in sort of like promotional material
0: but if you look at the job positions of both robinson and tanner uh tanner served as m's chief of staff in goldeneye yeah but going forward it's robinson yeah so tanner was demoted basically uh-oh <laughs> poor tanner <laughs> so p- poor tanner i think he gets the roll back by like his appearance in the craig film so he gets that promotion again if that's truly the same tanner i'm not getting into that debate here <laughs> but um yeah I-, I think that that's interesting to dive into but Looking at sort of Die Another Day as well, he got to have his own action sequence, sort of replicating the popular first-person shooter Bond games of the time in that virtual reality sequence. It was interesting to hear Colin talk about reading his death scene and then not wanting to continue to find out that he actually was not dead and it was just a VR
1: scene. But for half an hour, he was shaken that he was uh, written
0: out of the Bond universe.
1: And I know those VR scenes are um, polarizing with fans, but... I do thank them for giving the, giving us Robinson in action, because I think it's something that so often when we watch any of the Bond movies, and you see like the MI6 people who are always around, you're always like, I wonder what they're like in the field, and you go to like the Roger Moore era, you get a bunch of them in the field in like view to a kill, but that's not typically the case, and I do feel like giving Robinson more to do in the Brosnan era, like that action scene in the VR, you know, bit, kind of opens the doors for the craig era where suddenly you have that kind of scooby gang of mi6 agents who are out getting significant subplots especially in the later movies
0: yeah i mean i will i will keep the robinson action scene but i wish we could drop the money penny sex scene at the end i don't need that in my life
1: (laughs) it's appropriate for that movie Sure, it's a perfect end. It is, it is. It is.
0: And and sort of aside from his three films, although we did talk about that quite a bit more, it was also just fascinating to hear how his Bond start came to be because I I did know ahead of time that he had done some screen tests uh, for the Bond girls as Bond himself, but that was uh, for Die Another Day as far as the online sources went and they were reenacting the Tatiana Romanova scenes for that. But I didn't know that before Charles Robinson even existed, Colin Salmon was playing Bond in these screen tests with these Bond girls, and he named some of them in the interview. But one I think is absolutely fascinating to dive into, and I think this is some fresh information for the universe. Monica Bellucci, now we did know she did do a screen test for Tomorrow Never Dies, of course she would come back inspect it, but we didn't know
1: she did another screen test for The World Is Not Enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there was also a little bit of an extra nugget there, which is, as you said, they famously do the scene from From Russia With Love for these tests, but he's referring to a chair, and I would have to assume that is the torture chair from The End of The World Is Not Enough.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is a very interesting nugget of information. I think that's definitely new information out there. and I'm glad we found that out. Of course, Cam and I do have a particular familiarity with that scene. Of course, he made me do that audition several times with him too, although he did make me dress in that blue nighty that Tatiana wears, which I, I felt was a bit inappropriate,
1: Cam. And I do believe our first test recording of the podcast was the same as the audio tape that M and the MI6 staff is listening to.
0: <laughs> There's a video of it but I I threw it in the uh, in the river in uh, Vienna. Appropriate appropriate <laughs> indeed indeed indeed. And of course, you know, conversation moved on to the talk of that that little upswell around about 2000 to 2003 of should Colin Salmon go on to play Bond. And there was a, there was definite talk in the papers at the time and and you know, Colin had some fun with that. And that's a, an interesting what if out there. But yeah, you know, I think he's he's definitely made his peace with what came next and um you know it, there's interviews out there where he's spoken about sort of you know, Lashana Lynch and you know, his he he's a big fan of the fact that 007 has moved on to another person now and it means it sort of opens the the floodgates for anyone to play the role now, which I'm all for personally. But, you know, taking a step away from Bond, we did get a chance to talk about a franchise I'm very passionate about, which is Resident Evil. I don't really talk about it on the show. It it kind of comes after sort of Spy movies and Star Trek. It's Resident Evil is the next one down for me, which is weird because I don't really like horror movies, but I really like horror games. And uh, so it was just, I mean, funny to hear the guy who got diced. Like that's that's a death scene I go back to a lot. I think it's just a funny thing is it's something I think about when I think of fun death scenes. So uh, hearing him talk about how he acted that and had to do it twice for Paul W. S. Anderson. Turns out the
1: man's a sadist. <laughs> yeah, I have a kind of a soft spot for Paul W. S. Anderson because. One of the big movies of my teenage years was Mortal Kombat, which was the movie that put him on the map. And so I've always kind of appreciated his sort of B-movie sensibilities. And when they click, they're really fun. And I think especially that first Resident Evil um, really has some memorable moments. I mean, Colin features into probably the most iconic scene in the whole movie, which is that dicing sequence you mentioned. But, you know... You can say what you will about uh, Paul W.S. Anderson, you know, movies as sort of like, uh, you know, B movies, but like visually, he's a very talented director. And I think that's something that stands up across his work. And, you know, as you said, he came back in Retribution, uh, Colin did, and that one is also very visually interesting.
0: But yeah, Retribution, the scene where Colin comes back as one sort of set in this sort of uncanny valley, fake suburbia, like Blue Velvet sort of thing going on. It's all a bit weird. Um, and it. There's not much more to it than that. I mean, the film's all about cloning and stuff, and obviously his character died pretty uh, pretty emphatically in the first one. But, yeah, just fun to talk about that, and just to sort of chat a bit about music as well. It, it's one of his main passions in his life. Uh, you know, the, the guy is an accomplished uh, trumpeter, uh, also plays a lot of steel drums as well, and very
1: passionate about that. So, um, I mean, all together, Cam, what a chat and what a guy. Yeah, and I mean, fantastic choice for the favorite spy movie ever as well of The Ipcris File. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Every time we have guests on and they name The Ipcris File, I get a little happier.
0: <laughs> you, you, I mean, if they, we don't often release the video of these interviews, but if you ever go and find one where that happens, you can watch me die slightly inside in the video. Um,
1: yeah, that's fun. And I'm just beaming. And yeah. we'll totally be like, yes, fantastic choice. And it is. I love the Ipcris file, so I'm always excited to hear someone else mention it.
0: One of these days, we're going to have to have a fully-fledged debate, like a Model UN, about the <laughs> Ipcris file. But that's not today. And of course, yes, yeah, so that was his spy question. And yeah, what a way to end the year 2022 for spyhards.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's uh, it, We're really setting a bar, unfortunately for ourselves. Uh, 2023 may be very stressful. <laughs>
0: ah but there you go um i want to wrap up by firstly saying thank you to colin salmon for taking the time to speak with us today i hope you all enjoyed it and thank you all for listening for the last 12 months we've gone from strength to strength our numbers keep going up
1: and we keep adding to the spy hards family and frankly we wouldn't be where we are without each and every one of you Mm -hmm. yeah indeed it's been a fantastic year just for people finding the podcast and just the response you guys are giving online, has been very encouraging and a lot of fun just to have those back and forth as well.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, if you like what you heard on this interview, please share it with your friends. Tell your friends about it. Share it online. It's free to pass this stuff around. Uh, it really helps spread the love. But heading into 2023, Cam, the question goes to you, sir. What have we got coming up next?
1: Yes. So next week, we are going to wrap up the year that was in 2022. We're going to look back on the movies we covered. And we have a lot of fun categories. We're going to look at not just like our favorite movie of the year or our least favorite, but all sorts of things that sort of speak to what this wacky and wild year of Spy Hearts was. And we'll also have you know voicemails from listeners and all sorts of stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Some of you have sent some lovely voicemails in. So we'll be taking those and uh, fielding those questions. But yeah, there you go, folks. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to join us for our 2022 wrap-up. It should be one hell of a time. If you like what you heard on the show, please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts, and do not forget to follow us discreetly on social media at SpyHards, that's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But until next year, listeners, our man's in position on the centre camera. It's like a terrorist supermarket. Chinese Long March Scud, Panther AS-565 attack helicopters, a pair of Russian mortars, and the crates look like American rifles, Chilean mines, German explosives, fun for the whole family.